0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're in Genesis chapter 1 today, Genesis chapter 1, and let's just get started reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so begins the beginning of everything. Genesis records for us the beginning of time, the beginning of space, beginning of matter, creation as we know it and see it. And this is the only glimpse that we have into the past that we just will never be able to see and scarcely imagine. And this is, the Bible just takes one page to explain all of this to us, to give us this answer to the origins of, of everything, and that is, it was God. In His amazing and incredible power, He just spoke things into existence. And scripture is repeatedly reminding us of that great power and self-sufficiency that he has. For example, in Acts 17, 24, when Paul is speaking to a crowd in Greece, he brings up this truth about God, that God who made the world and everything in it. He says, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Right? So nothing has changed from the beginning, right? Just as he is the origin of all things, we're derivative from him. It's, that continues and will till the end of the universe. And Paul's point, of course, in the text is that that makes God worthy of worship. He's unlike any anything else. And Isaiah will go on to make the same point in Isaiah chapter 40. We find these verses. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with the span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust, and Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? There are just numerous passages like this, where the Bible is exposing our limited understanding and saying that the Best we could ever do is just ask the question, where where did that knowledge come from? And by asking the question, it's rhetorical, right? In verse 14, like who who taught him who taught him justice and knowledge? The point is, is that those things originate with him. That our very ability to think is his power communicated to us. And we just get these pictures, like Isaiah is giving us over and over and over again to show that God's knowledge and power are infinite and there's no one who can act as his counselor or instructor. There's nothing that we can compare him with. He needs nothing to sustain him. He is awesome and glorious and clothes himself with honor and majesty. He would be glorious you know, without anybody worshiping him, right? Jesus said in John 17, 5, that he had glory with the father before the world ever was. Right? So, He's eternal, He's all-powerful, He's sufficient and perfect in Himself. Genesis 1 is capturing all of that for us as we see creation unfolding. Um, but why? Why create us? Why create anything? Well, we begin to answer that question in verse 4 of Genesis 1 where we see that the first thing God creates His commentary is that it's it's very good. But again, we go... We go outside of Genesis to see a consistent answer that we find in all Scripture. And that is, He created us for His good pleasure to serve and worship Him. And He created us for our good. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Because of your will, they existed and were created, the New American Standard says. So we weren't created so that he could be assigned glory as if he didn't already possess it. No, he has that. We. What does it say? It says we were created for his good pleasure to serve and worship him. Not so that he could benefit, but so that we could know love and joy and find our greatest love and joy in him. God is not the beneficiary here. He needs nothing from any creature. He knew that it was possible to create man in his image, and man could be a being whose greatest glory and joy and goodness would be in knowing God, the creator of all things, knowing the, the perfectly glorious and perfectly joyous and perfectly good Almighty God. And you know, we find this again throughout Scripture, Psalm 84, for example, verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Right, so David. There, or the psalmist, I'm not sure if it's David or not, but the psalmist is saying that, again, his greatest joy is in knowing God and being near to God. And that's what he wants. That's the very reason we were created. In Psalm 43, it says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of my God. God, my exceeding joy. To God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh my God. And so there it is again. He's, these these worshipers who have come to know God for who He is can't keep themselves from having this joy in knowing Him, in experiencing the blessings that He extends to us. First Chronicles sixteen. Let me give you another text twenty five and twenty seven. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. All right. So notice the connection there that he's making with creation. Right. So the the, the conclusion then for us, just as Paul was getting at in Acts chapter seventeen when he's preaching in in Greece, again, God made all things. He made from one man, all nations of the earth. And he's going on about his power, right? And and he's using that to make the point that he is worthy of worship. In other words, everything that you see that God has made should tell you who he is, that he is good and loving and powerful and that he cares for you. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 make, make the same point that, God's invisible; that everyone is without excuse because God's invisible attributes have been made known through creation itself. His His glory, His eternal power, right? And and in Chronicles, that's what we find here: is that all, all these false gods? They're they're nothing. They're just from man's imagination. It's God who made the heavens and everything, and someone capable of of doing that. Well, there has to be joy where He is. There has to be strength in Him. There has to be peace in Him. There has to be all these blessings in in Him, you see. And so God's not the beneficiary. Again, He needs nothing from any any creature. But we're answering the question, why create anything? Why create man? Well, it's because God is love and he He wanted to demonstrate that love, express that love, allow us to be And bless us in being the objects of his love. Create beings in his image whose greatest glory and joy would be in knowing him. And you know what? We find that exact same explanation when Jesus came to earth. You know, Jesus will say he came to earth for a a number of things, but ultimately for one reason to reconcile us to to God to deal with our sin that separated us from God so that we could have every spiritual blessing again joy and peace and the things that we've been talking about right but when you look at passages like John 15 you would you would expect right that to be consistent if if God is a God of joy and we were created for not his good but for our good so that we could know joy and fellowship with Him, uh, then you would expect that God, when He came to earth, to talk like that, to express those same kinds of desires for His for His creation. And that's exactly what you find in Jesus. John 15, 10, and verse 11, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full right and, and you think about again Genesis chapter 1 and everything that's unfolding there the light is called good the earth is called good the uh, the the creatures are called very good and good again and and this is again ultimately for our joy that our joy may be made full in in god and having fellowship with him. And that fellowship, of course, was broken in Eden. We'll talk about that later. But God came to fix that and, and reconcile us to himself so that, as Jesus says, your joy may be made full. Again, John 16, 22 and 24, you you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me, truly I say to you whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give it to you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full Yes God wants us to be happy and it sounds like a banal platitude but it is true and sadly it's been that that truth that God wants us to be happy has been arrested to mean that God wants you to be happy at any cost, and and that means you know just letting you go and do your own thing. But that's that's not what Jesus is saying when he says that your joy may be made full, right? No, he's he's saying that this is a possibility only in so far as we have fellowship with Him. Not just a possibility, but it's it's a guarantee. My, but my point is is that, yes, God wants you to be happy, but it is through having fellowship with Him. It is through being sanctified by His Word. In other words, not just going out and doing whatever you want and and living the life of your dreams, but in conforming to His will and, and bearing the image that you were made to bear. Right? It doesn't mean that made in God's likeness means that we look look like God. God's in, invisible. He doesn't have flesh the way that we do. Being made in God's image means that we were we were made to be like Him and that we have we're able to love and we're able to reason and we're able to um, uh, to create ourselves, create all sorts of things, right. That's how we're made in God's image. We haven't we have an intellect, we're rational and so on and so forth. Right And it is in those things, and and, and having a free will, and not just operating on instinct, it it is through those gifts that we are able to find our greatest joy in Him, if we subordinate all those things to Him. That's why He made us. Again, John 17, 13, God in the flesh is speaking this way, Now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, so why create us? Just as we've seen in Genesis 1. Now we see Jesus speaking here throughout John. It was he created us so that his joy could be our own. He created us so that we could know pleasure and glory. In every good thing, Ephesians one three, that would come through him, that would come through having fellowship with with him, right? And when you think about Genesis one, what's going to exist? Genesis one and two before the fall, what exists in Eden, what exists in paradise, is yes, all these physical blessings and a, a perfect world, uh, but fellowship with God, unbroken fellowship with God. Is what existed in Eden. Which sadly was eventually broken. And then. You know. People then robbed themselves of. Joy and peace and comfort. And everything that God extends to us. All right, so the, again, the constant refrain throughout Genesis chapter one is that God saw His creation and that it was good, and that He fashioned the earth with great care to be good for mankind, to sustain man, mankind, and that that's also a witness of who He is. Paul says that um, th- that He gave us rain and food and harvest to show us who He is in Acts seventeen and verse fourteen, and so He and then He ultimately demonstrates His love. And the giving of his, his son to us. And so again, all, all of this because he knew that man as a being would find joy and glory in knowing him, knowing God. And this was good. This is why God created us and this is why we should worship him. But we can only know the joy that he offers and we can only know every spiritual blessing and have peace when we repent and come back to him and accept the grace that's offered through Jesus Christ, accept the mercy that is found in him. And he, he gave himself up, he sacrificed his own life so that our sins could be taken away. The, the, the thing that, stood, that stands between us, that separates us from God and all the blessings He intends for us to have, spiritual blessings that He intends for us to have. Right? And so I have to be honest with myself. I have to own up to my sin, confess it, repent of it, and acknowledge that I am a rebel And that I'm responsible for breaking my fellowship with God who created me in His image and who wanted every good thing for me and still does. And has provided every opportunity for me to to take hold of those blessings for myself. And the way that He said to do this when He came to earth, He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And he says in Mark 16, 16 that you must believe and be baptized, and those who do will be saved. That is, come back to this fellowship with him, wherein there is every promise to look forward to, not only here and now, but ultimately in, in eternity, where we will realize in the fullest sense. All the spiritual blessings that we just taste now, that we just get a glimpse of now, will be perfectly and fully realized when we return to paradise. So, have you done those things that Jesus says are necessary? But don't waste any more time if you haven't. You were created for heaven, you were created for glory, you were created to have joy in Christ. So, relinquish and repent of all of all of your sin continue to turn away from it and go to him